Hello, welcome to the podcast of First Church. I'm glad you could join us. This message was preached by Pastor Randy Underwood on Sunday, March 20th. It was a great word, and we pray you're blessed by it once again today. Hosea chapter number 2 tells us in verse number 14, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. And bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence. Let it sink in a second. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. And I will give her her vineyards from thence. And the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there. Oh my God. As in the days of her youth. As in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. The prophetical books of the Old Testament contain stored up in them a rich mine of instruction and edification for the church. It shows how God chooses to speak in the heart of his chosen people. Job speaks of this rich mine when he says in 28 of his book, the stones of it are the place of sapphires and it hath dust of gold. There is a path which no fowl knoweth, and which the vulture eye hath not seen. Seeing it, he says, is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. We cannot, however, well understand these dealings of God with the souls of his people unless we first look at the preceding part of the second chapter of Hosea. The Lord there lays open the sins that a soul, even a gracious soul, I might add, is capable of committing. What does it and ever will do when it's not restrained by this powerful grace that lives in our heart? He says, for their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I will run after my lovers and sell myself to them for food and drink, for clothing of wool and linen and for olive oil. It's going to be okay. Y'all just ride with me. Here is the opening up of what we are by nature what our carnal minds are ever bent upon, what we do or are capable of doing, except as held back by that watchful and unceasing grace and goodness of the God that's in this room today. These lovers of ours, our, 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 our old sins and former lusts that still crave for gratification, 
To these sometimes the carnal mind looks back and says, Where are my lovers that gave me my food and drink? Where are those former delights that so pleased my vile passions and so gratified my base desires? These lovers are the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life of all of which unless they are subdued by sovereign grace they still work in our depraved nature and seek to regain their former sway. But the Lord here for the most part he's merciful and he interposes and lets us know that he will not usually let his children do what they gladly would do or or be what they gladly would be or follow those cravings unnoticed. For he says in 2 and 6 of Hosea, he says, therefore, I will block your path with thorn bushes. I will wall you in so that you cannot find your way. The Lord in his providence or in his grace prevents the carnal mind from carrying out its base desires and hedges up the way with thorns. And that's what we call the prickings of the conscience or conviction. Amen. Stings of remorse, pangs of penitence, which are so many thorny and briary hedges that fence up the way of transgression. I thank God today for his convictions. These convictions prevent the carnal mind from going back to its old paths and going after these former lovers to renew its ungodly alliance with him. And when God, by his grace, sets up this hedge of thorns and the soul struggles to break through this strong fence. But the moment that it seeks to get through it, the soul of the moment you seek to go back to your old ways, every part of this hedge that God has put around you prevents a pricking, uh, presents a pricking briar that's sharp and a strong thorn which wounds and pierces the conscience. And you cannot do those things without that convicting spirit. I preached a message a few weeks ago at home that talked about, about the flesh, the spirit wars against the flesh. And I thought you ought to thank God. My message was you ought to thank God that there's a warring in your spirit because that's how you know that there's spirit that's warring against your flesh. It's when you can sin without conviction that you ought to worry. Because as long as you've got spirit, it's going to war against your flesh. Oh, my God, what infinite mercy this is. What amazing grace is manifested by this verse. If the conscience was not made tender so as to feel that pricking briar, who knows what, what fearful abyss of sin and transgression the soul would fall into. These lacerating briars produce a remorse in the soul before God so we cannot do that which we would. Look how God says it. He says that when she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch up with them. She'll search for them, but can't find them. Oh, my God. You know why? 
Because when God forgives you of your sins, what does he do with them? He casts them as far from you as the east is from the west. He says, I'll put them in the sea of forgetfulness. So if you ever go back looking for your old lovers, you're going to have to rediscover them because God has washed them out of your life. God has forgiven you of your wrong. Amen. So when she runs after them, she won't be able to find them because through these prickings of conviction, there comes a longing in her mind for those purer pleasures and holier delights than her adulterous lovers could give her. And this produces a change in her feelings and her desires. Because look what she says. She Then she will say, I will go back to my husband at first. For then I was better off than now. I will go back to that which is pure. I'll stay with that which brought me cleanness and purity. I will stay with that that took my brokenness and made me whole. So now she realizes that my relationship with my husband or with God as you want was pure and holy. It was filled without remorse and guilt. It's where she would say he was kind and loving husband to me in those days. I didn't deserve what God gave me, but he gave it to me anyway. I didn't deserve him to fix me like he fixed me, but he did. So now I realize I need to stay with him. I will return to him if he will graciously permit me. For it was better with me when I could walk in the light of his countenance than since I have been seeking my lovers and reaping nothing but guilt, death, and condemnation. I don't have time to deal with this, but I feel an urging in my spirit to talk to somebody right here that you might be looking out at what you used to have and where you used to be. And there's a sense of craving in you saying I should go to those lovers. I'm kind of cold in my spirit, but you hear this preacher. If I've come for no other reason, I've come with what I I'm feeling this very second to tell you that none of that is like what you have now. None of that can bring you peace and joy and love like you've got right now. You will never feel clean like you feel right now. You will never have what God has. You cannot go against the lover of your soul in this room. The Lord goes on to say that if she persists, I'll strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. I'll put an end to her annual festivals, her new moon celebrations, her Sabbath days, and all her appointed festivals. I'll destroy her vineyards and her orchards, things that she claims her lovers gave her. I'll let them grow into tangled thickets where the wild animals will eat the fruit. I'll punish her for all the times she deserted me when she burned incense to her images of Baal, put on her earrings and jewels 
angels uh, and went out looking for her lovers. But the thing, Brother Matt, that caught my attention, arrested my attention in this text was the way God chose to deal with her. And he said, behold, I will allure her. This is a gracious word in the prophet Jeremiah, the, the application of which has been a blessing to many a soul that truly fears God for Jeremiah 31 and 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. We need not only, ladies and gentlemen, to be driven by the law, but we need to be drawn by the gospel. There are times in our lives when we need not only the thunders of Mount Sinai, but the dew and the rain that fall on Mount Zion. There's times we need to enjoy the smile of God as well as experience the frown of his anger. For it's there that we find the cords of a man and the bands of a love that is so undenying by which the the Lord draws the soul near unto himself as well as those terrors of the Lord whereby he drives us. It's true that God has drawn us by his grace and saved us by his efficacious atoning blood. We know that for he said in his word, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. We are drawn to him. For no man comes unless he's first drawn. God shows us what we are. And convicts us of our sins. And therefore he draws us to him. Realizing that I can really be free. From the sins and the guilt which I carry every day now. That I realize I'm a sinner. Jeremiah speaks of the saints of God. As coming and singing in the height of Zion and flowing together in the goodness of the Lord. Isaiah speaks of the church and I'm really hurrying to get to where I want to go. Amen. Y'all are good to stay with me till I get there. When I get there, I'll let you know and y'all can just jump because you'll know that I'm not far from being done. Isaiah speaks of the church of God he said, then you shall see and flow together. And your heart shall fear, or as that word means, shall palpitate with love and joy. And he says, and be enlarged. We find new life in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. A life now with new interests and new desires and a new focus. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, all things are passed away and behold all things have become new it is through Jesus Christ that all life and love flows it's in him that's our intercessor in which our hope is anchored 
God will send us his word and draw us by his power and, and love it and the love of it. We love God's word when it talks to us. His word will prick our souls and we'll be drawn into the power of it. It was by his word that we first realized that we were in fact sinners and it showed us the error of our ways and that we need God to intervene. Oh, we're going to be sure enough going to a devil's hell. But Paul came and preached the gospel to them. He preached salvation through the blood of the Lamb. And the Bible says the Holy Ghost attended the word with power. It came to their heart with such assurance that it was the very truth of God. And they received it. And it is the very voice of God speaking to them through the apostles' lips. So they turned to God, the Bible says, from idols to serve the true and the living God. So because of our newfound love and desire to please God, there are times when God takes us to the wilderness. This is where y'all can jump on. We trust that he knows what's best for us. We have put our lives in his hands, knowing that all things work together for our good. So there are times in which we are brought to the wilderness. It's not a place where we would pick to go voluntarily. We would not say, God, pick me, pick me. I want to go to the wilderness. It's a place too barren for us to go except as allured in a special manner by grace and led by the power of God. Nor do we for the most part know where the Lord has taken us. We follow his drawings. We're led by his allurings. We listen to his persuading voice, trusting in him as, as to an unerring guide that he'll lead me in the paths that I need to go. But we do not know the place of barrenness into which he's bringing us. The Lord usually conceals that from our eyes. He allures and we follow, but he does not tell us what he's going to do with us or where he intends to take us. He hides his gracious purposes at first because if he showed us all that he was going to do in us and the process in which he was going to bring about his purpose in us, we would probably not walk with him. We would say, God, if I knew every place you're going to take me, if he told me up front, Brother Gar's aware he was going to take me in my life as walking as a Christian, as a preacher, I would might have said, no, I don't think so. I don't know if I want to do all that. I, I don't know if I want to go to those dark places. So he hides that from me knowing my propensities and knowing what I would do and so he hides them but at some particular point some given place in my life he says Randy I need to take you to a place because I need to show you some things oh my God this was true in a literal sense of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Were they not in a sense allured into the wilderness by eating the Paschal Lamb, passing through the Red Sea, being baptized in the cloud and in the sea and especially by the cloudy pillar that went before them and led them into the wilderness? And we know that the literal Israel was a type and figure of the spiritual Israel. 
But look at the place where he brings his people. Wilderness. This is a type and figure much used by God. We, we might even call it a trial, a hardship, a difficult place. Look at this place called the wilderness. It's an isolated, solitary spot far away from cities and towns and other busy haunts of men. It's a remote and often dreary place where there is no intruding eye to see the wanderer's steps. There, there, there is no listening ear to hear the sighs and the cries. It's a place away from all creature comforts. It's a place sometimes full of uncertainty. And understanding this process, we may see from it how the Lord, when he extends his sacred power upon the heart to allure his people in the wilderness, listen, he brings them into a spot where in solitude and silence they may be separated from everyone else but God himself. No distractions. They're less in our lives. No voices of others trying to convince you to take another route into your life, to, to pursue other things in this way of God. Sometimes, sir, it's a lonely place. I promise you it's going to be okay. The church is spoken of in this chapter as following after her lovers, but she could not overtake them. She could not find them. And as she could not find them, they would not seek for her. Oh my God, this is so good right here. I can't understand it. They have no inclination to follow her into the wilderness. They're attracted by her charms so they would seek again to entangle her in their embrace but here they would immediately leave her at the edge of the desert because no earthly lover follows her into the wilderness because your earthly lovers cannot bear its solitude to be alone leaves it too much open to the stings of conscience for the things that suit the carnal mind is to drive dullness and cares away by company and by amusements and lights and sound and to shut all out the thoughts of death and judgment by these things but in the wilderness in the trial we are alone with God coming out of the world away from sin and worldly company out of everything that's carnal out of everything that's sensual and earthly and being brought into a solemn spot where there are secret sacred and solitary dealings with God Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days and nights. John the Baptist went to the wilderness and was there six months. And when he came out, he had a message of fire. And all of this was indicative of separation from the world and a living in solitude, having no communion with any but God. And until we are brought into the wilderness, we have no withdrawal from our flesh. No solitary dealings with the heart searching Jehovah. 
Neither are we separated in heart and spirit from the world without or the world within so as to have any real spiritual communion with God of heaven. We have separated from all these. We are distracted by the noise and the goings on of our everyday lives. We're so caught up in it sometimes that we don't even think about God throughout the day. This is not my spot. This is the pastor's spot, but I'm a pastor. So let me just toss this in. I'm sure it'll be okay that there are people who can go for days and never talk to God who they claim to be their lover. And they'll go for days and they'll come to church on a Wednesday night and feel the touch of God and then go another three or four days and never talk to him, never say anything to him. They might say a few rehearsed words over their food, but they never talk to the lover of their heart. And they wonder why they struggle. They wonder why they their life is a roller coaster. They wonder why it's going on. You hear me tonight? You cannot ignore your lover and expect him to be close. We get so caught up in life that we forget him. And so there are times that he has to take us to the wilderness to get us alone. So we can hear nothing but him. Look at this wilderness under another character. It's represented throughout the word of God as a place of trial and affliction. It was so in the special manner to the children of Israel. For no sooner did they enter in the wilderness than their trials began. They had no water to drink, no food to eat, a burning sun above them, a part sand below, dried up as they complained to their very soul. They remembered the fish that they ate in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics. And they began again to look back to their former lovers, to those that they supposed gave them their food and their happiness. They had been away from the path of the pain of what was it was like to be surrounded and controlled by those old lovers. And they started looking back that way again, desiring to feel their momentary thrill again. So God had to put up a hedge of thorns and thistles so that when they did, they would feel the prick of conviction in their heart. That wilderness sometimes can be a place of trial and difficulty and we despise the very thought of it. God, keep me in the comforts of my normal life. Keep me in a place where I can go about as usual, work as usual, home as usual, church as usual. Don't take me out of my comfort zone. And when I get bored, I'll look again to my old lovers and haunts and vices from which I thought my joy came. Don't take me to the wilderness, God. But listen to me today. This is where it turns to my point. It's not negative, it's positive. To those of you who's looking at me like, oh God, this is going to be rough. It turns right here. Listen to me today. 
it was in the wilderness that God promised them their vineyards. She didn't even know what she had until the wilderness revealed it to her. It was then that God said, I will give her her vineyards. She had things that she had forgotten until God showed her in the desert. It was in the wilderness, ladies and gentlemen, that he promised them in the valley of Achor, a door of hope and an anchor. It was in the wilderness that he promised them houses that they did not build and wells that that they did not dig. It was in the wilderness where he opened their eyes to a land that would accommodate their millions of inhabitants that they had already been promised to their forefathers. It was in the wilderness where they became so thirsty that they thought they were going to die and God had to show them that he was a supplier of all their needs. It was then that he caused one to come from a flint rock and it followed them throughout the desert. It was in this place of trial that they become so hungry and loathsome for the foods of their old lovers and God sent them food from heaven. Angels food, manna, and it followed them throughout the wilderness. He caused quail to walk up into the yard every day in the wilderness. He brought a cloud during the day to shelter them from the burning sun. He then turned it into a pillar of fire by night to give them light in the camp. It was in the wilderness that God made them promises and showed them things that they would have never seen any other place. I came to tell you today, First Church, don't despise the trial because God has something to show you. God has promises that he wants to give just to you about your future. And you would never know it. You would never see it. You would never understand it if you were not in a place where only God's voice was the voice you heard. You didn't hear the other sounds of life because you're in a place of loneliness, a place you feel destitute, and it's God's voice that you hear. I'm preaching to someone right now that things are not going so well on your job. There's trouble in your home. Your finances are in a shamble and your debt is rising because you can't control yourself. You're looking again to your old vices as if they are a way of escape. Those lovers that you thought gave you your sustenance when in reality they stole from you who you really are. But for some reason, when you look again with longing eyes at those old lovers, you feel the prick in your conscience, even as I'm preaching right now, because God has put a hedge of thorns and briars so you cannot get to them without discomfort. That's his grace, sir. That's his mercy, sister. He's protecting you while he's trying to show you his plan for your life. 
in the wilderness, there's neither house nor home. Oh, God. In Jeremiah, it's called a land not sown. There is no farm or homestead. No green fields or waving corn. But it's a place in itself that's destitute of food. So much so that a traveler would perish unless supplied from some other source. So while God may take us to the wilderness in our experience and get us to see things that we would see in no other way, it's not a place we're supposed to live. It's not our homestead. We're not to get settled in and say, well... Bless God, I guess it's always been this way in my life, you know. I mean, I've always struggled with this, and I've always struggled with that, and I've always been this, and I've always been that. And so we just settle down in a place that's neither fruitful, a place that's neither gracious or glorious, a place that's neither full of blessing in life. We just meander our way and struggle our way through. But God sent me here today to tell you that, that he wants you to know that that place you're in, uh, that place of struggle, that place of trial it's not your home uh, it's just a place he's taking you so you can see what he's trying to show you hear me hear me when I tell you that some of you have struggled with things long enough it's time you commit to God and say I'm tired of living in the wilderness because of my refusing to see what God is trying to show me I'm tired of struggling because of my not being committed and convinced that God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. You've been through a dry place, but God sent me here on this Sunday morning to tell you, don't fret at the wilderness because it's a place where God shows you things for your life. Don't become frustrated with a trial because God has taken you somewhere. And I know it sounds easier for me to say it than it is to really live it. But don't become frustrated with the trial because God is taking you somewhere. And it takes the wilderness, the trial, the hardship to get you there. I thank God that he doesn't leave me to my own devices but that he really does have a plan and a purpose for my life oh God just help me to see it it's there in that struggling place and I'm not far from being done I'll try to tie all this together now it's in that struggling place that he reveals things to you that are just for you they're not for your neighbor, they're not for your husband, not for your wife, not for your kids. They are just for you. I think I need to say that again because some of y'all are kind of numb to what I'm saying right here because it's hitting home. But I want you to know that, that, that in that wilderness, that struggling place, it's thing places that God reveals to you things that are just for you that you would never see unless he got you away from your creature comforts and, your, and disrupted things for a season in your life. Made things seem to be irritating in your life. Things that you 
used to could get by with, you can't now. Things you used to could wander through, you feel a prick over here and a, and, a, and a prod over here. You feel the word as it penetrates your life. Why? Because God is trying to get you to a place where you can't hear the voices of your friends and neighbors and show you something that he wants you to see. You thought little when the Lord was graciously dealing with your soul and giving you to taste something of the sweetness and manifested mercy. You thought little when you felt the blessings of grace and the joy that floods your soul that, that this was all intended, sir, to allow you to get close enough to him that you would follow him even in the hard place. It's there that we learn the evils of the heart, the darkness of our understanding, the alienation of our affections, the wretched unbelief, murmuring and fretfulness of our fallen nature. But it's also there that we learn the wondrous, long-suffering patience and forbearance of God. Because look what God does to his people when he's brought them to the wilderness. Look what he does. He speaks comfortably to them. When we come into the wilderness under these alluring drawings of God, when the Lord carries on a certain work that he will speak comfortably unto her, there's tones of promise that seem to dispel the fear and the anxiety, sweetness that only you can catch on his words. Others don't even catch it. Others don't even notice it. But you do because there's something that has caught your attention. Why? Because you're not listening to other things. You're only hearing God's voice because he's got you into a place where... <coughs> He can speak to you. I might be preaching to somebody right here that you don't even know why you're here today. You tell me nothing. You hear me? Nothing is a mistake. Nothing is just by chance when it comes to God. God's been tugging at your heart and you didn't even know it was him. God was drawing you and you didn't even know he was drawing you. But he's bringing you to a place where you can understand I can be the lover of your soul. I can be the peace you're looking for. I can be the happiness in which you long for. He wants to give you words that sometimes come through the preacher as he gives his discourse that seems to speak clearly to your heart, that special characteristic of his voice. Men may speak to the ear and they can do no more than that. But God speaks to the heart, for it's there that his voice alone is heard. It's in the wilderness where we learn the deep necessity that there is, that we really do need God to speak to our heart. We need the Lord himself to speak, and the Lord alone. I've heard too many other voices. Not only have I heard too many other voices, but I've been listening to them. I'm trying to help somebody. I know you might not be shouting, but you will tomorrow when you learn what I'm trying to tell you. 
that I've listened to all these other voices that have done nothing but wake me down and drag me down and say, you know what? It's not as great as you thought it was. It's not as blessed as it was. Your home and your family life are not all it's cracked up to be now that you're a Christian. That Oh, my God, I just hit a nail right there. I just hit somebody. That all of these things that God, that you thought you would have in God, they don't seem to be coming to fruition. And you don't know. You've been listening to all these voices. You've been hearing all of these other words and you've been listening to them. But you hear me tonight. You might be struggling for one reason and one reason only because God wants you to get get you to a place where you can't hear anything else but him. He wants you to get a place where you feel so lonely that no one else can talk to you except God. He might want to get you to a place where you are so by yourself that no one else can influence you but him. I'm preaching to somebody. God is trying to show you things for your life. And he has led you into the wilderness to bereave you of all these earthly ties, all these creature refuges and vain hopes that he may himself speak into your soul. So I brought you all this way to tell you this. Don't abhor those times of discomfort because it's just God's way of wanting to speak things into your heart that you wouldn't hear in the noise. If you are separated from the world by being brought into a wilderness, if you're passing through trials and afflictions, if you're going through a struggle in your life and you don't know why, if you're exercised with a variety of temptations and are brought into that spot where your friends can't help you nor give you hope, then you're made to see and feel that nothing but God's voice speaking with power to your soul can give you any solid ground of rest or peace or hope. Listen to him right now in this room I feel him talking he's trying to speak to you about things that he's taking you through so you'll know that he still guides your life he said I'll cause you to sing again look what he said he said I'll cause you to sing again in the wilderness just like you did when I first brought you out of Egypt when I first forgave you of your sins and you were so in love with me when I bring you through this place and you see again my purpose I will give you your song You've lost your joy. You think you have nothing to sing about and you blamed it on someone or something else. God said in the wilderness, you will sing again. When you see what I planned for your life, you will sing again. Stop despising the trial and start asking God, what is it, God, that you want to show me? What direction do you want me to know in my life? Why? 
is it in this place of uncertainty, this place of unfamiliarity, this place where it seems like my former attractions are not even relevant in my life anymore? What is it in this place that the things that I thought once pleasure are no longer pleasure? The things that I once thought were good are no longer good. God is trying to help you understand that I got to take you through some places, sir, that only you know my voice because you're surrounded by too much stuff. You're surrounded by too many voices. Oh my God, there are some of you in this room today who need to understand I need God to fix what I can't fix. I need him to heal what I can't heal. I need him to direct me in places I don't even know where to go. And God is trying to help you on this Sunday morning to know you can walk out of this place with some joy in your heart, a song in your voice, a joy in your step. Why? Because he's showing you things. He's directing your life in places that he wants to show you his goodness. I know what I'm talking about today, ladies and gentlemen. I know I've been through some places so dark that I didn't know if I would ever see the sunshine again. I'm not preaching this off the top of my head. I'm preaching this out of my heart. There's times, places I've been to, Sister Wisnant, where my heart was on the floor. And you know about some of it. Your husband came and visited me in one of the darkest places of my life. He came to the hospital when I was there with my boy. And he sat down with me until... 12, 31 o'clock in the morning and we talked when I didn't even know if my boy was going to live. Yeah, I've been through some dark places. I've been through some places that I didn't understand and I asked God why. Why God? Sister Witness is in those places. Oh God. It's in those places. I, I, I get up early. My normal time is 4 o'clock, and I, I get up, and I shower. I read my Bible, and I go to the church, and I pray. And I would pray. I would pray, God, I don't know. My boy's alive for some reason. And I don't know. I don't know what you want us to do, what you want us to know, what you want us to see. I would get in my car and I'd go to Sacramento or the hospital. And I would go in there before the changing of the nurses. The night nurse was going off and the day nurse was coming on. And I would walk into that room looking at my boy unconscious. Tubes hanging all off. first three weeks, sister, he had a towel over his face because he didn't have a face. That was my boy. 
don't know why I'm telling you this. I just want you to know that I'm a pastor that I can feel when those dark places come. And I would stay until that changing of the guard and I would go to my work, which was only a couple of miles. My office was a couple of miles from there. I would leave early and go back to that hospital about two o'clock in the afternoon. And I would stay until 10 or 10.30 at night because I couldn't stand to leave. <laughs> I'd get home after 11, I'd take a shower, get in bed around close to midnight, get up at four o'clock, go to the church. You say, Pastor, you had reason to sleep in a little while. I couldn't because I knew the lover of my soul and the director of my life was over there and I was going to go meet him. So I would go and I'd pour my heart out to him as he, as he would hold me and <coughs> direct my life. This went on for five and a half months. I brought my boy home from the hospital when they said there was no hope. My boy's alive. My boy's good. He works with me every day. We did a little hunting yesterday. We golf a little bit. We, he's, he's almost 30. He'll be 30 years old in another week or two. That's been five years ago now. Do you still understand? Do you understand even now why God took you through that? No. I don't know why I had to go through that. I wouldn't wish that on any parent. It's a place so dark that you don't know if you're ever going to come out of it. But I know that there were moments in that when God would speak into my heart. Oh, my God. He showed me things in there, sister, that that I couldn't have seen any other way. I don't have time to tell you all this. I got to go. We got another church service to do here in a little bit. I don't have time to tell you all this, but I just got to tell you something that God showed me in the middle of this. The doctor came out to me one day after like a 14-hour surgery on my boy, trying to patch holes, trying to just take skin and cover up his face to make it where it's not just one big nothing. Just to show you the severity, he had no cheekbones, upper or lower, no chin, no teeth, no nose, no lips, no roof of his mouth. He had nothing. It was gone. That 270 short mag went in right here and came out the bridge of his nose, took his face off. 24 years old. The doctor came out. He set me down and he said, Cameron will never be able to swallow ever again because he has no soft palate. Soft palate is where your tonsils and the uvula hang. And he says, I can create the hard palate, which is the roof of your mouth. But he said, I cannot create the soft palate. So if he lives, he'll never swallow. 
because it's that soft palate that directs the food and water, whatever you're drinking, that goes into the stomach or the lungs. And he will go into the lungs and he'll aspirate and die. So he'll always have to have a feeding tube. He'll never be able to eat or drink from his mouth. But God told my daddy... told my daddy when all this first came out one day in prayer he said whatever the doctors cannot touch I'll heal so the minute that doctor told me that I went to prayer I called some folks that I knew were praying people. Your husband was one of them. In fact, one night in that room, it was just me and Cameron. Tim called me. I'm sorry, Pastor Wisnett called me. And he said, are you where Cameron can hear? I said, I am. He said, turn your phone on speakerphone. He was at some conference in Houston. Anthony Mangan was leading the service. He said, turn it on speakerphone and lay it by Cameron's ear. And I promise you before God, I heard a roar of prayer come from a conference floor where they called out my boy's name and where they prayed for him. I would tell those, I'm sorry to go so long. Y'all forgive me. I, I, I'm sorry. I would tell those plastic surgeons as they stood at the foot of his bed, there would be five or six of them, some of the best in the state. One of the guys was number three in the state of California in plastic surgeon. I would stand at that bed beside Cameron. I'd look at all of those plastic surgeons. And I would say, let me tell you something. There are thousands of prayers going up for this boy. And so every time you lay your hand on him to do any work, those prayers are affecting you. And I would watch those doctors stand there with tears running down their cheek. One of them turned to me and said, we have never had anybody pray for us before. Well, let me get back to my story. So we went to prayer. Cameron came to after about two and a half months. They moved him to another room, and one day he couldn't talk. And he said, Dad, he wrote on this pad, he said, Dad, I think I have a hole in the roof of my mouth because they had created this hole. I had asked the nurse, that one of the plastic surgeons who came after that big surgery where they took a big piece of skin and muscle and they made an L shape and they made the roof of his mouth and they brought it up to the side of his face just to plug the hole. And they checked it every hour or so for blood flow through that. It looked good out here and so I asked the plastic surgeon one day, I said, tell me something, how do you know it looks good in there? She said, because it was just a little tiny hole, not very big. She said, because that's where the blood flows from inside out. And she says, if it looks good out here, it looks good in there. And I said, let me ask you something. 
I said, when you attached that flap to the roof of his mouth, what did you sew it to? I get chills even when I talk about it. I said, what did you sew that to? Did you sew that to the soft palate at the back of his mouth? She said, that's exactly what we sewed it to. I didn't say anything. It was a month or so later and Cameron wrote on their dad, I got a hole in the roof of my mouth. I need you to take a flashlight and look in there. And I stand here before God and all of you telling you the truth. That when I shine that light in the roof of his mouth, I could see tonsils and I could see a uvula. It was as pink as a baby's mouth. It was absolutely perfect. So you say, Pastor, why do you think God took you through that? I don't know, but all I know is he showed me some stuff. I'm still the way maker. I'm still the provider. You might have lost focus, but I'm showing you again what all I can do. Come on, somebody. You may not understand why you're dealing with what you're dealing, but throw your hands up and say, God, help me to see what you want me to see. Come on, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. What is it you're showing me, God? Shut out the other voices that you're listening to right now. Saying, oh, it's okay in my life. It's all right in my life. Shut those voices out and say, God, what do you want me to see? What is this purpose you have for my life? I seem to not understand I don't know my God is speaking to everybody in this room all over this house it's in the trials you get your song back it's in the dark place you see your direction. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. 
And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.